Welcome to Game Over Montreal. It is once again our usual situation. We're covering another Montreal Canadiens loss. But hey, for the Quebecers in the audience, we got a fun one for you because homeboy Marc-Andre Fleury got his 500th win in a shutout. So there's a positive. Got two awesome guests coming on with me today. So I'm going to welcome them in right now. We've got Shane Malloy and Evan Moore. How's it going, guys? Doing great. Thanks for ha- Thank you for having me on the show. Really appreciate it. My pleasure to have me. Appreciate it. I'm excited to have you both. Honestly, it's uh, awesome to get different perspectives on the show. And I know Shane's got lots of stuff to bring to the table, uh, not just in terms of uh, prospect development and all that, but uh, also behind the scenes at uh, EA Sports. And he had uh, some nice reaction to look at today with them adding women's hockey to the game for the first time, which is fantastic. And Evan has a fantastic book out that I encourage everyone to get in the description on the YouTube video or on the YouTube video and on the podcast. If you're listening to this afterwards, you can check out links for Evan's book. You will not be disappointed. You will learn something. That's the big thing, right, Evan? Oh yeah, for sure. And I hope people get something out of it. I mean, it's, those are labor of love to write it. And even though, you know, it became like extremely timely after uh, recent events in the hockey world, but, you know, um, a big hockey fan, so hoping that folks, who, the people who need to read it, you know, pick it up, or someone, you know, points to them in the right direction to go pick it up. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of people in hockey that need to read it and and learn some things because <laughs> uh, we got to get something going in the right direction here, and maybe we're in a point of a title shift in hockey culture, like the whole Kyle Beach incident uh, coming to light and the Blackhawks being pushed to acknowledge it, essentially. Uh, Maybe we're at an inflection point here. I hope so. I want to see more to believe that hockey culture will actually change because we just haven't really seen it, but uh, maybe. And I think that uh, Evan, you and Jashvin are people who are pushing things the right way and trying to make an effective or trying to affect change here. And I know there's a couple comments already asking for the announcement. There will be an announcement on this show, but it's going to be a little bit later. We're going to tease you. And I'm going to start doing this at the beginning of every show now, because I would like you to, if you're watching this show and you're excited about the announcement, that's going to come for SDPN sports, share the show, go out on your social media, post a link to the show, tell your friends, Come on and watch, because we're going to have a fun conversation here. And uh, then once enough people come, then I'll do the announcement. So uh, get some viewers for us, guys. Go out there. Post it. All right. So let's talk about the game a little bit. Uh, Great game in the end for the Blackhawks. Very boring game to watch, I think, no matter what. But uh, still, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury got his shutout in his 500th career victory. Uh, Somebody mentioned it's his 69th shutout. Good for him. Very nice. Uh, anything stood out to the game for you guys? Well, I think at the end of the day, you know, the Montreal Canadiens, I'm not sure what, they're in a bit of a malaise. And yes, of course, there's injuries and there are some fluctuations going on in the roster. 
but it just seems like they need a jolt of, of adrenaline, you know, like maybe, you know, some endorphins, you know, they need some good feelings. You saw what happened with Vancouver Canucks. No, no major roster changes, but that endorphin of having a coach who's positive and brings a positive vibe to the locker room. Sometimes that's necessary and it spreads like wildfire. So perhaps maybe not saying that there needs to be a coaching change, but they certainly need a little bit of a run sort of to kick things going because it just seems to be, there's such an up and down season this year. And that's frustrating, not only just on the players, but everyone involved with Montreal, especially the fans, because they're so passionate and it's hard for them to, you know, rationalize what's going on, you know, comparatively to what happened last year. Yeah. I think, uh, Compared to what happened last year, I mean, there was it was an up and down regular season last year, but the playoffs were just such lightning in a bottle situation. I think you look at the way that they played tonight, and I would say uninspiring is a kind way to put it. Uh, they played much better against the Lightning last game, but it's also one of those situations where I don't want to be too harsh on them necessarily, just because like half their lineup, more than half their lineup, is on the injured reserve right now. So even though the Blackhawks are not necessarily a good team. And the Canadians are not necessarily a good team either. The fact that they're so injured at the moment and they've got so many young kids in with like questionable peaks of talent, it makes sense that they're having trouble scoring. Yeah, I mean, from that perspective, also you're putting in young players that you're putting them into positions they're not quite ready for. And it's a really good test for like the management group to take, you know, for Jeff Gordon to take a look at, okay, what do I have when you have young people in these situations, what are they ready for? What do we need to help them with? So in terms of barometer, I think that's, that's useful for the organization. I'm sure it's not fun for the fans to watch, but I think in terms of, a management tool for Jeff Gordon. I think that's going to be a critical component. So he has a better idea of, you know, what he has and what are the next steps in terms of, of the player development down in Laval. And that's like a, a big question for this team has been development. And now they're using some of the younger players. You're seeing some, at least things tried by the coaching staff. Like they tried, they threw it like a bit of a kid line on the power play tonight. But for the most part, the kids haven't been getting that much ice time. And you mentioned, Shane, like trying to get something going this year. I think a lot of fans at this point don't want them to get something going, right? Like a lot of fans probably watch this game against Chicago and they're saying, good, because Chicago is a team that could fall behind them in the standings theoretically. So they want to get the best possible chance at a pick. But I think that you look at games like this compared to games against the Lightning where they played really hard and lost. And I think that lightning game is how you kind of want them to play down the stretch. We're like, yeah, lose because you're not good enough, but you got to have at least the young players trying, right? You've got to have somebody out there holding people accountable and trying to take a step forward towards next season, even if not, it's not going to work this year. Well, you can't have young players in a losing environment. There's a difference between losing games and being in a losing environment where you know, there's such a negativity around how you perform and what the effort level is and what the perfection that has a detrimental effect on young players. So you don't want that to happen. So you certainly want them to be, you know, let them go out and let them make mistakes. When you have young players in the lineup, it's one of the things that, you know, the NHL in general, is so risk averse 
as particular in the roster construction or how they coach that sometimes you just have, when it's young players, you have to admit they're going to make mistakes and it's okay. Just let them go out there and try things because they're not going to learn. They're not going to be able to test their boundaries of what they can and get it can and can't get away with at the NHL level. So I think there's some, you should have some allowances for that to happen. Absolutely. Evan touching on the Blackhawks a little bit. Jonathan Taves got off the schneid tonight, finally. The Habs are kind of the ultimate slump busters this season. You know, they've they allowed uh, Buffalo to end their losing streak. They've allowed lots of players to seemingly end their uh, goal-scoring droughts. But Jonathan Taves finally got his first goal of the season. Is that is that a big moment for the Blackhawks, or is that just another thing that's kind of a, check to, uh, a box that's checked? I think it's a box to check. I mean, it's it, it. He was due. He was like way past due. I mean, he's historically, you know, one of the best players. He's a future Hall of Famer and uh, and everything else. But you were just kind of wondering, even you know, even he uh, you know didn't play last season, and then you know um, came out and said that he may have you know had COVID before it was called COVID. You know, and um, seeing. Uh, he was kind of getting back into the back into shape, and you at the time, you know, some folks were wondering, does this guy have like, you know, maybe, you know, um, long hauls? Let some uh, people uh, try to try to uh, recover, you know, um, post COVID, and quite weren't the same same player or person they were before. But for him, I mean, it's even for the team in general. With you guys were talking earlier about, um, and Jane was talking earlier about, you know, bringing, you know. Was what, what usually happened when you bring on a coach, a new, a new coach, and a guy need a new voice and a jolt in the team. And you've seen that, you know, um, with um, with the team. I think they've been they're a nine and five or something like that since uh, Derek King took over for Jeremy Colleton. And you you definitely see, you know, a, a shift a shift in play, and also see you know someone like you know Seth Jones who is last season and. Uh, in Columbus, you're kind of thinking, like, oh, man, this guy might be washed. And then the Black Hawks traded for him and had that contract extension and gave away a pretty good young, pretty pretty good player now in both clips himself. So, you know, it's good to see that he's he's playing well. And, and you know, guys, guys are kind of getting – the guys on the team are trying to get it together. But, I mean, I don't know if they're a playoff team this yet, but they may, like, sneak in and, and shock some people because you kind of never know and – in hockey, how you just said earlier about how you know the Habs or you know had an up and down season, they got hot in the playoffs and end up in the Stanley Cup Finals. So, yeah, I'll say this is probably you know once there's a slump bust, you know you get that first one, you just kind of like okay, cool, I can I can sell in and maybe this is this will lead to a, maybe a point streak or something like that or a goal streak. You just never know. <laughs> yeah, I mean Taves is a goal scorer. He has been throughout his career and has not necessarily like I think there was a period of time where it kind of looked like he was going to fall off and then he started building his career back up and uh, heading into COVID like had essentially two almost point per game seasons in a row right so like he's a guy who has had career dips before and has the experience to come back from it Uh, heading into this game he already had 45 shots this year which is a fair amount for no goals so it's nice to see him get off the the zero there and, and get a goal and also on a power play goal because Blackhawks, that's one area where they've really struggled. 
since they made the coaching change. Strangely, they've kind of gone much better defensively, but still struggled on special teams. Very strong special teams night tonight. Well, I think the Chicago Blackhawks, it's going to be interesting to see how they manage the veterans along with those young players and then, and that, that balancing act between the two, uh, because Chicago, just like, like Montreal have had a, a really poor draft history. So there isn't large pools of prospects coming up. They historically over the last 10, 15 years, they haven't done very well. So I'm curious to see how some of these young players come in and be able to shift that. And then whether, you know, long-term what Chicago is going to do with, Taves and Kane because by the time they're ready to contend again I think they're going to be so far past their prime maybe Kane maybe not he may play for much longer than Taves but Taves is pretty beat up so I'm just curious to see what they're going to do from a management standpoint when they finally bring in a management group you know and help relieve Kyle Davison from all the work that he has to do yeah, it's going to be a really interesting. It's funny that you mentioned the Blackhawks being bad at drafting because I think the one player that they've drafted that has turned into like a legit excellent player was a Montreal Canadiens draft pick. Like that's where they got the pick was Alex DeBrinket in the Andrew Shaw trade. Yeah, I mean, you look at I, I look at for instance, you're looking at the what the teams do from the salary cap era on like prior to the salary cap, the entire landscape has changed. So the valuation of what prospects are and what their value is and what draft picks are and what their value are has changed in 2006. But if you look from 2006 to 2015, that 10 year period, Montreal's last in drafting efficiency and Chicago is like the fifth worst. So both are at the bottom but you look at, oh, they've had all the success, but a lot of that was based on prior drafting. And you can get away with a lot when you have some really top players. Like in Montreal with Carey Price, he hides a lot of warts. And then, you know, in Chicago, you had the two big demon and then their goaltender Crawford and Taves and Kane in a good supporting cast. And that hides a lot. But sooner or later, just like what happened in Vancouver with the Canucks, if you don't have good drafting, the bottom falls out. And when it falls out, it falls out hard. Yeah. And, you know, when you make your bank on drafting on and you get a couple of stars and they can stretch things out for a long time, you don't notice that things are falling out, right? And I think at least the Blackhawks have the excuse that they were trying to redline it, right? To get as many cups out of that core as they possibly could. Whereas I think the Montreal Canadiens mortgaged much less of the future in order to compete in the now but they just haven't been able to make a competitive roster. And last year, notwithstanding, which I still think is like, lightning in a bottle is great and it's entertaining, but yeah. not repeatable. Yeah. yeah. You're right. It's same with the Dallas in many respects. Mm-hmm. You know, two years ago, I think they were very much a lightning in a bottle that way as well. And do I think they're going to be a playoff team? Sure. I think they should probably make it to as a wild card, but you know, I thought their run was very much based on lightning in a bottle, great goaltending, and they came together defensively. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, someone you mentioned Carey Price, and someone asked in the comments as well. Any news on Carey Price? He was actually spotted in full equipment the other day on the ice, so that's encouraging. He's still rehabbing from that knee injury, coming back from the player assistance program. Uh, the coaching staff said that he wouldn't be back until at least after Christmas. But I think it's probably not unlikely that he'll play in January. I think they're going to be very careful with him. 
I'm assuming that he wants to go to the Olympics. That's probably his biggest motivation this year because he's not going to save the season. Like it, it's too late now. They've got six wins, twenty eight games in. Like it, he's not that good. You know, I don't think you could drop Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews onto this team at the same time right now and save what's happened so far. It's just too much, too far gone. But Carey Price should be back within maybe a month. That's positive news. Something that's entertaining for the show. Uh, maybe more fun to watch the games. And, you know, goaltending, as much as uh, it's been up and down for a while, Jake Allen's been brilliant the last little stretch. He's here. been really good. And I've, I've been pretty impressed with his overall game. So I don't think necessarily it's a goaltending, I don't think is the issue of the Montreal Canadiens. And it may not be an issue for them moving forward. I think they're going to have some questions to answer of what they're going to do with that duo. Like, is that a long term? Like, I don't mean long term, but the next two or three years, are they going to keep that together? Um, yes, the salary of Carey Price is, you know, exceptionally high. But is there, a, is there going to be a thought process of like, do we have to move him to help reset what we're doing here? And no, you never want to do that, but you know he is your biggest asset, and you're going to probably have to eat some salary on the way out because who can afford a ten million dollar goaltender in the set in a flat set flat cap salary era era? So I think that's going to be really interesting to find out to see what they do from that that standpoint. Yeah, I think uh, price if he's dealt, it would have to be like a three team trade where another team also eats salary just because. Yeah, if they're going to trade Carey Price. They can't, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, uh, do it at a loss, right? They can't do it in a situation where you're trading Carey Price and you get, like, a second-round pick. Like, it has to be a good Same trade. Again. Because otherwise, yes, I think from a personal standpoint, if Price doesn't want to stick around for a rebuild, you owe it to him to find a contender so that he can try to win a Stanley Cup before his career's over. Pierre LeBron mentioned the Colorado Avalanche recently, and I think that... Sounds like a perfect fit, even though it gives me like PTSD from watching the Patrick Waugh trade when it go down when I was a kid. But uh, it's it makes sense, right? It does make sense for him. I, I do wonder, though, if there's more value for the Canadians long term just because of what his contract is to keep him around if he's interested in keep staying around to be a mentor for the young kids coming up. They kind of need to do that with someone, right? You can't have all young kids. You have to have some um stability that runs through your rebuild to kind of get things going in the right direction. I don't know if Price is that guy or if he wants to be that guy, but the organization will have to know. Another name that's put out there, Jeff Merrick was put out there, was Brendan Gallagher. And I want to ask Evan, because having watched what the Blackhawks have done over the last little stretch here, where they had their cup contending time, and then they had the time where they thought maybe that they were cup contenders but they clearly weren't, and they stuck with Kane and Taves to the point where now I think you could argue that like, you could still trade Patrick Kane and get an absolute monster deal, but maybe with Taves' goal-scoring drought here and missing last year, his value is not as high. Do you think the, the uh, Blackhawks have made a huge mistake by not moving on from that core, or do you think it's worth it to just keep those guys Blackhawks for life? I mean, you want to get sentimental about it, and it's kind of like, well, business is business. Like, uh, there's plenty of Hall of Famers who were traded, you know, when it was, when it was time to go. And 
But, I mean, it will be better for everyone if they did a, a clear break and it'd be like, if, if, this, if the season, like, you know, goes like, further south, it'd be like, look, hey, you know, we got these young players, but also, you know, we can maybe get something, get something back for these guys because there are a few teams that could use the experience of a Canyon and a Taves that, you know, that could use uh, that for a team that feels like that they're, you know, like, uh, you know, a couple of players away or a couple of veteran guys to stabilize a young core. But, I mean, it's got, I guess, I mean, it's kind of tough to say, honestly. Like, you just kind of never know where this sport, you know, turns out. And you see this, this is a team that's, I don't remember if they, you can fact check me on this. I don't know if they ever, like, actually said the word rebuild or anything like that. But you had all these guys and you had a couple of bad contracts in there, namely, you know, Brent Seabrook. And it was time to go, you know, he had to go even, you know, with Duncan Keith, you know, like that's probably the best defenseman in the history of the franchise. But when it was time, it it was his time. Yeah. There's got to be like a certain amount of, for lack of a better word, cutthroat attitude right as a manager and i know i think when it was like a couple of years ago wasn't it that taves came out and said publicly like he didn't want the blackhawks to rebuild yeah and the when you're sitting there from a management perspective there's a cost value line of every player the cost of them and then what is value and that value starts to drop below that co- or gets to the neutral level of that cost it's incumbent like to look at that player away from the emotion and simply look at him as an asset because your responsibilities to the franchise. So uh, you take a look at from Kane's standpoint, I still think, and I agree with you, Andrew, that you get a bucket load for him at this point, still in his career. He's a fantastic player. Taves, you may have to still do, as you had mentioned with Carey Price, you may have to do a three-way deal and potentially find a way to offset some of that salary. But you look at, not that I'm throwing out trade, like random trades, but I mean, you look at a young and up and coming team like the Ducks. Could they use a Patrick Kane, a guy who's been there and done that and can help lead the, like take some pressure off those young players? Certainly. I mean, that's an, you know, those are the kind of things as if you're, when you're a general manager in Chicago, until they get a new general manager, that's a whole, like that whole process. Like I find the NHL currently fascinating. You have, the Vancouver Canucks who just hired Jim Rutherford and they don't have a GM or another assist. They're missing an assistant GM. Chicago is still in flux. Montreal still in flux. And there's a couple other teams that potentially could end up being like that. We could have five teams with a bunch of unknowns. Just they're just trying to work out who's going to be their next general manager and assistant GMs. So I, I think it's a fascinating time to see, how the carousel moves around and who like when the musical chairs stop who gets off yeah a comment here mentioning chicago won't trade caner taves this year they don't have their first round picks they're not going to tank it's a good point yeah they they made a big bet this year on the whole seth jones deal and trying to get back into the playoffs well and the other thing is like because you gotta you gotta play out this year for the salary the next year they're that's their now they're unrestricted potential unrestricted free agents at that point. That's when you start looking at moving them along. Potentially we'll see what happens when, you know, a new GM and new assistant GM comes in there. Yeah. I think one fit that is intriguing to me for Patrick Kane 
And this is just like me throwing things out there. I have no sources, no idea if either team would even be interested. But with how much better the New York Rangers have been this year, how great their goaltending has been, but they do look like they need something. Reuniting Patrick Kane and Artemi Panarin, they actually have the cap space to make it work. That would be very interesting. And they also have the young players to make that happen. So you're gonna you're going to have to lose, you know, Capocaco or someone like that, or you know, Kravchev and another player and something else and something else to to make that happen. But I agree. I mean that that would be intriguing from that standpoint of you know him going into that situation. And then what it does is also like insulates those younger players away from that for a lot of the pressure that happens once you get into the playoffs. Cause once that compression of the, of those playoff teams come and it's tough on those young players, this is not a development league and you start to see the stress on them, especially in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. Now, speaking of the big trades, uh, Jeff Merrick, <coughs> sorry, excuse me. Still getting over this cold wrote that Brendan Gallagher's name might be out there at trade deadline day. Now, he just signed a big contract in Montreal. Wanted to be a Canadian for a long time. Kind of, like, bleeds for the jersey, right? The prototypical guy that you want on your team. At 29 years old, starting to get a little bit banged up. You know, has had his hand blown up multiple times, once by a Shea Weber shot that took him out for, like, half a season but is a undisputed play driver. You know, a, an agitator premier, like penalty drawing guy. He just, it, he brings so much to the table. He said that he doesn't really think he wants to be around for a rebuild, though. Do you think the Canadians would possibly move a guy like Brendan Gallagher this year when he has so much term left? Is it even possible? Well, I think it's, possible to it's always possible to move a player even with his term would he want to maybe i mean if 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 jeff gordon really thinks they're going to do a full rebuild or like at least you know it's going to be three years or four years down the road before they're competitive again well he's going to be 33 by that point and the way he plays he'll be so beat up at that point he's gonna he might be a shell of himself because the guy just goes hell bent for leather so from an asset management standpoint, you're never going to get more value for Brennan Gallagher as you are this trade deadline. And every year after that, that asset's going to diminish over time. So if you're going to do it, you better make that decision at either at the trade deadline or at the draft in Montreal, which you want a big splash. And you want the fans to boo, but depending on what you get in return, like, you know, there is some, there is some value of doing it at both those times. Yeah, I, I feel like it's such a tough one for Montreal Canadiens fans because I think everyone can watch and see that Gallagher is banged up, right? Like, he gets banged up. As he gets older, it's going to be harder and harder to play his style. But there's such an emotional tie, right? So the return would have to be crazy. And I think it would be pretty strong for Brendan Gallagher, even though I think he is underrated around the league. Like, he's just such a incredible play driver that I don't think he actually gets much credit for like his defensive execution, his transition play. He's a, he's a hell of a player. The only thing is like his power play work has not been fantastic over his career. So his overall 
scoring numbers don't reflect how good of a player he actually is. So very interesting, but uh, I'm not sure if they'll do it. I think that it's, there's a lot of tough questions facing Jeff Gordon and the incoming Canadians GM, you know, not just even from uh, what they've been hitting on the most, which is development, which has been a major problem, but who is going to stay and who's going to go on this team filled with long-term contracts and how are you going to move them around? Now, I know that I tease an announcement. I'm going to wait a couple more minutes for that. But before we get into anything else, I have to promote the merch, right? So, Game Over mugs, Game Over t-shirts. Head to sdpn.ca, check out their shop, download the SDPN app, support the show. And if you really love the show, make sure you like every YouTube video, subscribe to the to the uh YouTube channel to the <coughs> sorry, this freaking cold man to the podcast as well, wherever you can get your podcasts and uh, give us some support. Uh, speaking of development, Alex Romanoff finally starting to look really good. Or not really good, let's say he's looking better until he does that turnover in the third period tonight and puts it right in front of the goalie, right to a Chicago player. Who, <coughs> sorry, immediately scores the insurance goal. Do you see uh, Shane Alex Romanov ever being a top four defenseman? Because I am not sold. Yes, I think he could certainly be a top four defenseman. But patience is needed. One of the things that through my time of research, you know, when you you go farther along in like in my academic studies, the more I the farther I go, the less I realize I know. So you really have to delve into and speak to other people who are experts in other disciplines and other domains. And one of the interesting things I had, I had found out through some of my research is in about frontal lobe development of the brain. So prior to the age of 24, men are basically hairless monkeys. We run around, we make really like ill-informed decisions. We make silly mistakes. We do it all the time. It's based on our frontal lobes. That's your higher reasoning and decision-making processes. So when I watch young defensemen or young players consistently make mistakes at that age, I don't worry about it because it's just part of their genetic makeup. And sooner or later that comes into play. And it's why car insurance companies drop their rates at 25. It's not a fluke. It's science. It's simply so you have to be patient. I think one of the biggest mistakes that we see in management in the NHL is lack of patience and not being willing to let young players make mistakes and not get upset and then turn on them and then trade them away. And then two years, you see the fan base scream at him. Why'd you trade him away? Now he looks great. You know, it happens a lot. I mean, like, you know, Evan can attest to this watching, you know, young players, you know, in Chicago and, when you when you're trying to win a Stanley Cup and the coach Q's all upset because this guy's making mistakes and I can't have that, um, and then they move him off, you know Philip Dano, I mean he's a perfect example. You know definitely benefited the Montreal Canadiens, hurt you know of the Chicago Blackhawks because they weren't patient with him, turned into a great player. So you know that's where I'm always hesitant when we make quick, such quick decisions on prospects. Or young players below the age of 24. Absolutely. 
Uh, someone asked, what am I drinking out of the Game Over mug? Just water tonight. It's what I need. I gotta get through this cold. Stay hydrated. But I'm battling. But uh, you don't need to know what I drink out of there most nights. <laughs> Alright, uh, should we do the announcement here, friends of the show? This is a pretty big one. And uh, I'm really excited about it because as Adam Wilde hinted on Twitter, this is kind of a hint of where the STPN is going in the future. We are launching a new show, short-term show this time, Game Over Juniors. So we're going to be doing these Game Over shows post-game for Team Canada's World Juniors games. I'm going to be hosting, and there are two conflicts that I know of so far with Montreal games. So Julian McKenzie is going to jump in into my chair for Game Over Montreal. You may have noticed last show, sorry, I'm just struggling, <coughs> that we ran uh, Jesse Blake's stream that he usually runs on Twitch on the YouTube channel concurrently with Game Over. That was to test out if we could run successfully two streams <coughs> on the YouTube channel. So, during this holiday season, almost every single day, there's going to be game over at night. The, the junior games on the 28th and the 4th, if Canada makes the medal round, will be concurrent with Montreal Canadiens games. Julian McKenzie's going to step in here. He, I'm going to teach him all about streaming over the next couple of days here. And uh, we're bringing you lots of content. And this is a hint of where things are going. All right. This network is going big places. We have grand plans. And Adam Wilde is the most ambitious person I've ever met. Jesse Blake's a genius. And Steve is Steve. So we've got uh, a bunch of really smart people and Steve in this network. And it's going to be really fun. And I'm really excited for it. And I think you guys are going to have a lot of fun. So with that exciting news out of the way, let's get into more heavy stuff. Evan, can you uh, give people a hint of basically what you're working on, what your book is about, and kind of get people to understand what we're trying, what you're trying to accomplish? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's uh, game misconduct, hockey's toxic culture, and how to fix it. Co-author is uh, Jasmine Shah, and yeah, it's something that we had individually without each other knowing. You know, wanted to write a hockey book, you know, talking about all these issues. And over time, I had a bunch of uh, information I had been sitting on, and people sending me things, and talking to different hockey historians about you know, all these uh, different things that are going on in the sport. And I remember her tweeting, like, hey, someone has to pay me to write a hockey book. And I ended up DMing her, like, hey, I was really thinking about the same thing. Let's collaborate on this. And, you know, we broke up the chapters on the things they were we, that were kind of in our wheelhouse, but also at the same time, areas we kind of have blind spots in. And, you know, um, looking back at what we did and everything else, and, you know, some people, you know, they may, you know, try, uh, you know, they may, uh, you know, critique, like, the, con the content and saying why well, we are attacking hockey culture and that's not the case. We both love hockey, but they need to ask themselves why there are so much content for us to choose from in the first place. 
I mean, we want to make the sport better. We don't, we don't like hate the sport or want to do away with it. We just want the people who claim to, to be stakeholders in the game to do better by everyone. And we turned in our manuscript in January and how much has hockey happened in hockey since then. And everyone in the hockey world, I don't care who you are, you know, they may have not read the Blackhawk that report but that on the Blackhawks, but they looked they looked at rest up Rick West Westhead's interview on TSN of Kyle Beach. And I don't really understand how you not come away from that, you know, this feeling completely awful and, and crushed for the guy that for that to happen to him in the name of winning hockey games. And I remember um one of the when I, you know, there's a lot to take in, you know, as someone who's a longtime fan who, who plays himself, whose daughter, whose young daughter plays hockey, you know, you start to, you know, think about, you know, like all the, all those things that led to, you know, you know, his assault. And I remember reading the report and one of the first things that I thought once I was done with it was that these guys are making concessions for a video coach what are they doing for players who may have grandfathered a law or anything like that so it was a a lot to take in and you see some people particularly locally you know like now start struggling with with their fandom and how they process this well they the, now they're looking at you know their heroes from those cup teams differently but also another thing is you have some folks out there who believe that this issue within the sport is exclusive to the Blackhawks, and it's not the case. They're, they're knuckleheads all over the place that we saw the fallout from the sport, you know, and there's a reckoning. We'll, we'll see what happens, and it's ongoing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what, what you mentioned earlier, Evan, is something that really bothers me. People saying, like, you don't like the sport, or how can you – Point things out like this and not and uh if you like the sport how can you not like the sport to be able to write something like this this is the epitome of caring about the sport is wanting it to be better and you kind of see that kind of commentary no matter what you're talking about right like whether it's you know like criticizing your own cover government or country and they're like oh you don't like it here leave but like Wanting to improve something that you love, isn't that like the purest form of love? Well, yeah, no doubt. I always tell people when they read the book, they're all like, well, is this sport redeemable? Like, what's great about it? And I always tell people if it, I took, because my first hockey game I remember watching wasn't a Blackhawks game, believe it or not. I was a kid and I watched the 1988 Olympics and, you know, Calgary Olympics. I believe the Sweden and the Soviet Union were playing. And that's the first game I saw, and I fell in love with it. And if that was able to reach me, a, a young black kid on the south side of Chicago who grew up in a basketball, you know, mecca, for me to come out decades later, later, you know, does everything he can to sing the praises of the sport, and you know, maybe you know, there's something there. Well, yeah, and that, I, Evan, it's fascinating. I mean, growing up, particularly, you know, with, you know, <clears throat> Andrew and I in Canada, where hockey is just like everything, 
Mm-hmm. Um, did you guys in your process? Cause I actually, I, I bought your book. It's on my shelf. It's going to be my reading now that I'm um, in between semesters of university. One of the things I'd be really interested to find out is like <laughs> correlating like your guys' experience in writing this book with what happened in other sports prior in history, like what happened in basketball, what happened in baseball and the steps and the things that they went through historically and how much it mirrors what's happening in hockey now where we're going through more of a paradigm shift and they did it like maybe decades earlier and how much does that relate and how many lessons can we learn from their mistakes and like, you know, speaking to people in other sports and saying, okay, what happened here? What can we do better? How do we learn? How do we not re- repeat mistakes of, you know, those type of transitions in other sports uh, to make it? Because, you know, there are aspects that I agree that in our culture are horrendously bad. Um, but there's also things in hockey where, you know, I'm not sure if, if there's any other sport that gives back to the community more than hockey does. Like whether it's a junior team, an AHL team, an NHL team, like they're also community oriented, but there's such a strange like disconnect about poor, awful behavior and just letting it kind of sweep it under the rug. You know, like from your perspective, Evan, do you, is that something that you would consider looking at in the future of like, okay, this is what happened in the other sports and what can we learn from that? That's a great question. I mean, it's, so that I think about because, you know, we did, like I said, we did get like some critiques that, uh, early on, even before the book came out, was like, hey, well, this stuff, what about what happens in other sports? And I just simply tell people, well, I'm writing a book about hockey, so I'm going to talk about, you know, what happens within hockey. Do we met some incidents and some things that went on and, you know, other sports? Yeah, sure we do, but, yeah, we're the hook is is hockey and some of the things that go around that go happens around the sport and some of it you know is stuff that's that's exclusive to hockey that some some of the things you know that's ha- that's happened over time and and we also talk about this like punk rock mentality that hockey has you know you kind of saw that play out here locally in Chicago because you guys you remember the Blackhawks were like between like 2001 and 2005, 2006 were basically non-existent, you know? And, and, and that during that time period, you had all these fans that, you know, grew up watching the team when they were pretty awful. And you go to a, a Hawks Red Wings game locally and there's more Wings fans than Blackhawks fans type of game. I've actually witnessed this. So, then you see the team, you know, bring in Canyon Taze and had a young core. And then you see all these you know, new school fans showing up and you have some push. Yes. You know, like loud minority of pushback from fans to longtime fans who had sat through the lean years and they didn't really know what to make of all of all these fans, you know, that that's showing up and rooting for the team. And I remember at the time, you know, saying like, hey, you know, when this thing goes bad, like, we'll, we'll see who, you know, who sticks around and this is something for them. But it kind of how it starts, you know, like, especially locally, like outside of the Bulls, you know, with Jordan and Pippen and all them, the Blackhawks were, were it. I mean, three Stanley Cups. If it wasn't for a deflection, maybe a fourth, 
you know, and, uh, you know, and to have those, those, that those cups within the five year span and have still made the, the players, you know, on the team for a long time, they basically turned that around. You can remember one point, like ESPN link, like rated them as the worst ran, you know, sports franchise and, you know, worst ran four times a franchise in all sports. And then for them to, you know, you know, come back from that. But, you know, to kind of also, you know, answer a question, we do get into the weeds of a lot of these issues on why that is and, and why, you know, hockey players are, are viewed a certain way as it saw the earth, like the, the boy next door that made good and, and everything else. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of cultural issues and culture wars, I think that are within hockey that are kind of weird because, I'm one of the few people I know of that follows the NBA and follows hockey, you know, pretty much on the same lane when I'm pretty, you know, avid about my fandom. And I just kind of noticed on the hockey side, you know, because we all know the Stanley, the hockey, so those seasons, you know, run are the, around the same time and the Stanley Cup final and the NBA finals around the same time. And you see these, these weird comments from, from hockey fans about basketball. And it's like hockey is the most amazing sport by itself nothing tops playoff hockey nothing tops tops the stanley cup and what it means and, and everything else and this sport is great all by itself and i just understand why a lot of some hockey fans not all like a loud minority of them love to to punch down on anything that's different from them and it's kind of like well if the sport is going to evolve and transition into fandoms in non-traditional or marginalized communities, that's something the sport, I'm not saying the NHL or Gary Bettner needs to step out on this or anything like that, because this is not just an NHL thing. It's a hockey, holistic hockey problem, you know? And and so, you know, if all these different folks who aren't from traditional hockey communities are starting to see this, and so many of them are saying it, I mean, there's clearly, there's clearly not a problem, and there clearly is a problem, and in the book, we talked to so many hockey stakeholders, players, fans, coaches, families, siblings of players, players themselves, all these people. And they're saying that the sport is broken and they're providing examples of this. I think it's way past due to, to start hearing folks out. Yeah, you got to listen to people, you know, and. There have been too many people who've tried to speak out and that we don't listen to, right? Like, how many times has Akeem Aliou tried to say something before people started to finally listen? You know, I, the fact that there are so many times that I can remember coming up in this business, essentially, where you hear about a player and you're like, oh, I think this guy looks really good. And they're like, oh, no, they're they're a problem. They're, they have personality issues. Like, I heard that. I remember about Akeem Aliou. And it's like, personality issues he refused to get hazed and one of the dirtiest players in league history two hand chopped him in the teeth in practice and then beat him up like he has the personality issues and now like every single time especially with players of color whenever i hear somebody even a, a hockey scout that i trust say this guy has personality issues i'm like mm, mm, is it just that he won't take shit is it just that he won't take shit? So there's there's a lot of that in hockey and a lot of silence, I think, in hockey culture that enables 
some of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. It probably has to do with that whole like team first mentality that everybody's a good old boy and everybody in hockey's a great person that you don't want to step out. And especially when people have power over you, but uh, it definitely needs to change. And I I'm glad for one that Evan, you're out there at the front of it, trying to help make that change. And I think this is something that all hockey fans, I think can take in as like a lesson in that you don't, you aren't necessarily part of the problem if you don't want to, uh, you know, interact with the political side of hockey, but you're also not being part of the solution. And you can be part of the solution. As a fan, your voice can change how things are done. And I think that's something that a lot of fans need to understand, that it is important that we realize that, yes, we love hockey, we love the sport, we love watching it as entertainment, but it's also a sport of people. And these people, a lot of them who have power exerted over them, need help from fans to be on their side. And I think that uh, this is an important issue that we are going to continue having coverage of because of people like Evan, people like Katie Strang, people like Rick Westhead, Josh Vina Shaw, or Shaw, sorry. No, it is Shaw, right? Josh Vina Shaw? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. I want to make sure I get that right. All these people at the forefront trying to push the hockey culture in the right direction. Hopefully, we get to a point where in the near future, we can talk about it as we're already moved past the point of, uh, like, the ball's rolling, right? Like, and we know it's rolling. Right now, we, we hope it's rolling, but we don't know it's rolling. And I hope we get to that point really quickly. But uh, I'm going to end the show there because I've taken so much of your guys' time, and I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks to everyone for watching. Before we leave, though, just one more time, uh, Shane and then Evan, Tell everybody where they can find your work. Well, we're on uh, our show is Hockey Prospect Radio. It's on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. We're in our 17th season, which is crazy to think. Uh, We're on Saturdays and Sundays, Saturday uh, morning and afternoon, and then three times on Sunday as well, early in the morning and then in the afternoon as well. So we're going to be doing our junior hockey preview shows for the World Juniors coming up pretty quickly. So um, we're looking forward to that. It's going to be uh, about 40 hours of coverage, so we're excited. So um, as a fellow author, Evan, I uh, I commend you on getting that book out. It's, that's a tough, tough thing to do, and I'm looking forward to reading it. So I will uh, certainly keep in touch, and and uh, we'll have some conversations. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for, yeah, thanks for saying that, y'all. And, uh, yeah, people can, you know, find me on, on Twitter at Evan F. Moore and, if they are interested in the book, you can check out Amazon or or also your favorite independent bookstore. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys, for coming on with me today. It was fun to chat with you and uh, hope to talk to you in the near future.